Happy Wednesday. Um, I know I filed the financial statements just before the call, so many of you have not had a chance to look at look at it in depth. But I'm going to go through um, the financial statements, some of some of the notes, the the MDNA as quickly as possible. We got many many questions, and instead of doing a traditional question and answer, I'm going to just try to get to uh, answer as many of them as I can through my commentary and. Um, a little bit afterwards, going through some of the questions and making sure that I that, that I touch all the bases. So it's going to look a little bit differently, but I'm going to try to get to uh, give everybody as many answers as I possibly can. Uh, so let's look at the balance sheet. the The balance sheet is going to show that our net cash position here is up in March, and that has mainly to do with uh, the million dollars that we raised. In, from Chicago Venture Partners in January. Uh, again, the the main reason for securing that investment, and not, and I'm talking separately, uh, talking about it separately from the three million dollar note that we did in March, that has to do with the acquisition of, of Family Physicians RX. The million dollars is really for our growth and development, and I'm going to get into a lot of those initiatives uh, later in the call. But that million dollars is going to go towards a lot of the things that will help prepare us and insulate us from insurance companies and PBMs and and the restrictions that they're placing upon pharmacies and and the compression that they're putting on pharmacies. And the accounts receivable trade net 1.2 million. That's pretty much in line with about two million dollars in sales a month, uh, in not sales in billing. Uh, per month, that will include 340B billing, which, um, as you know, 340B billing goes toward the co- goes to the covered entity and is not part of our sales accounts receivable. Other, this is 350,000. That is the Humana bonus. Now, as of March, we had not collected that 350,000. It was 400, uh, $446,000 in total that we received in bonus. Um, it received in PBM fees that were due back to us. About uh, one-sixth of that is actual bonus in excess of what they took from us. So because we met all of the performance measures, we got an extra dollar per prescription that we dispensed for Humana as bonus. So some of that we received during the year. I believe that came that uh, 118000 or, or so, um, $100,000 or so came in September, and now in April, we received the remaining 350. So that is in our bank accounts. Now, inventory, as you see, is down a little bit. A, little, a lot of the reason for that is the work we do with 340B, and it's a little complicated, but it's on a replenishment model. So we have essentially inventory that is on loan at any given time, and we have inventory that is on loan to us at any given time. And the net result of that. It could show where we don't have the the drug physically on our shelf, but it is has been given to a 340B patient and thus uh, owed to us. So we we do account for that. Um, prepaid. We have some basic prepaid expenses, which includes security deposits and things like that. So so going to um, property uh, property and equipment is a big number that's that isn't really different from December, but it's a big change from, from where we were this time last year because it also it includes uh, $1.8 million of the building 
and then we have the Parada, the TCGRX, and the Script Pro that's also in that. Uh, Goodwill, this is coming entirely from the purchase of, of uh, Touchpoint, which from now on I'm going to refer to it as Farmco 1002. That's our West Palm Beach location. So if you hear me say 1002 or Farmco 1002, I'm talking about West Palm Beach. I'm talking about I'm talking about Touchpoint. So Goodwill is that um, business acquisition deposit 2.3 million. That is money from the Iliad note uh, that was done in March. 2.3. I know it was a three million dollar note. 2.3 was deposited into escrow and and held for distribution to the sellers of family physicians or FPRX. So if you hear FPRX, that's what I'm talking about. 2.3 is sitting in deposit on escrow for that acquisition, and then the rest is, is minimal discontinued operations and things like that. So accounts payable accrued liabilities is pretty much in line with everything else. We have have our major wholesale uh, vendors there. We have 340B covered entities in there, and because we're doing more 340B billing, this number is is higher. We have five active contracts now, and and they're growing. Um, we have some major concentrations in a few, but the 340B business is growing, and we're pursuing more opportunities with 340B covered entities that have higher higher fees especially because of the services we provide. We provide accounting, we provide compliance, we provide a lot of things because we have some core competencies that are better than most pharmacies have. So we are pursuing growth um, with those entities that have higher, that are willing to pay higher fees for this higher quality of service. Capital lease obligations, current portion, that's the script pro, that's the product, that's that. Unearned revenue, it's a it's an odd Situation just for pharmacies, for those of you who haven't been on a call with us and don't understand our business very well or operations very well. Um, this, is, this accounts for medications that we've billed to the insurance company that have not physically been picked up or delivered to the patient. And that could be medications that we, that we uh, billed March 31st at 4 o'clock and they're going out for, for Saturday delivery or they're going to be picked up the next day. So uh, that's what we accrue there. We don't actually recognize revenue until the change of ownership has actually taken place where the medication is in uh, the patient's hands. So because we have two notes outstanding, that total to about $4 million, $3 million is, is the Iliad, uh, $1 million is the Chicago Ventures. We have a derivative liability. And I'm going to get into the derivative liability a little bit later um, talking about the share structure and, and what we plan to do with that. But we do now have a derivative liability where all of our notes as of December were paid off. We now have a derivative liability back again. But I think that I'm going to talk to you about it, and I think this is a good thing. This is much-needed capital for us to grow the way we need to. So we're going to talk about what how, the good that's going to come out of this. Then We have long-term liabilities. And this is net of the debt discount that we have to book, and, and this is the net of the unamortized debt discount. So we have $1.85 million. I know that's not the total amount of the notes, but at the aggregate amount of, of what you see here under current liabilities and long-term liabilities will reflect the full value of the notes outstanding, which includes the note four. Um, note four, the mortgage. $1.5 million, $300,000 note to the sellers of the building, which we hope to take care of within within a year. 
and we have the two um, convertible notes that are that are part of this as well. And then capital lease obligations. Part of this is long term. Part of this is short term. And again, that's all of, of uh, all of the equipment. Um, going into the the P and L, and I will talk about the the share structure in just a moment. So let's go to the P and L. Revenues were 5.1 million. You're going to notice a difference in presentation. So if you compared this to the filing that we did last year, and you say the revenue doesn't match, the reason is the revenue. The reason that revenue doesn't match is because of the way PBMs do their fees and their recoupments for for things like generic effective rate, brand effective rate, those are now effectively contractual adjustments. So instead of them being fees after the fact as, as cost of goods, which is how we were presenting them last year, we're now presenting them as net of revenues because we cannot expect to receive those monies as we know that the contract states that the, any, any um, adjudication amount will be reduced by, by these fees, which is DIR, BER, GER, and any other fees that they can come up with, transactions, adjustments, and, and whatever they, they want to make up today or tomorrow. So those are now net of our revenues. And you'll see that we've now adjusted that 2018 number for comparison purposes. So both of these top-line revenue numbers are net of the fees. This year, our fees and ERs and BERs and whatever else that, that were, that were um, charged to us was about $271,000. That's about $100,000 or $120,000 higher than it was last year. I want everyone to keep in mind that not, not only at, is reimbursement rates the, the base adjudication for a drug. If we, we take a drug and we adjudicate it for $10 last year, this year it's $9, or this year it's $8. And then add to that that the fees are also going up by nearly double. So not only is your base adjudication now 8 they're taking fee on top of that number, so now your, your reimbursement is really 6 And I'm making up numbers, but that's kind of the idea of what's going on with revenue. The vast majority of what's happening in revenue has to do with drastic cuts to reimbursement rates and drastic increases in PBM fees across the board. And then compounds, as much as I would love to bring compounds to the masses because I know that it's the right thing, I know that it's the right medication for all of our, uh, for patients that are suffering with pain, we know it works. Patient after patient sends us letters telling us how it changes their lives. Insurance companies have basically said they're they're not covering them. And for a patient that's Medicare or Medicaid who has lived with chronic pain for the last 20, 30 years, they simply can't afford an out-of-pocket expense, and so they choose not to fill a prescription. Even though we get prescriptions for it from the doctor, the patient is either choosing not to fill it or the insurance company is choosing not to not to cover it. And we, I'm going to talk about what we plan to do about compounds later, but compounds is significantly down because of that. And even when insurance does pay, we had, we've had situations where the insurance company is basically reimbursing us below cost on that too. So we are working on a new solution. We have a plan for addressing how to increase um, sales and profitability and compounding as well. We're not giving up on it because we know the benefit it brings to society. We know the benefit it brings to patients. So we're not getting rid of it. It needs to evolve, and I'll, I'll discuss that later in the call. 
bad debt expense is, is minimal. It always is minimal. One of the things that we do very well is keep track of our, our billing, and we make sure that we go after payment on every claim we can. So bad debt is very small. SG&A is up a little bit, but I want to provide some clarity here. SG&A on Farmco, 901 Miami Beach, is down. We've cut costs wherever we can to adjust to changing landscapes in the, in the PBM insurance world. So SG&A, when it comes to Farmco, is down. SG&A, when it comes to progressive care, is flat. We, we haven't increased costs there. We're not aggressively uh, pursuing extreme advertising measures, extreme IRPR measures. We have audit fees. We have legal fees. All of that has to do with the acquisition. All of that has to do with compliance um, with with OTC markets, and, and we haven't really increased costs there. And we're going to try to keep it pretty much flat. We don't want to increase costs in progressive care as much as we can, although changes in our listing tier may may alter that. The vast majority of the difference that you're going to see here from 2018 is the the addition of, of 1002, Farmco 1002. So we have their expenses now in SG&A, which is commensurate with adding their sales to um, sales to our our operations, so they're now consolidated in. And I'm going to talk about, uh, and I know I keep saying that, but I'm going to get into 1002 and how it's developing because it's um, it's doing very well, and we're seeing some some pretty quick improvements over over last year. Um, we're, you're going to see some expenses here. So we have an interest expense. Some of that is the mortgage. Very minimally is that the mortgage and the rest is accrued interest on the notes and change in fair value of derivatives. You'll see that difference. And then we have loss. We have loss before provision of of, of income tax. So our loss is about seven hundred fifty-one thousand on the quarter. That is not uh, all cash loss. Cash loss is about four hundred seventy-one thousand. And I, I repeat that almost all of that is isolated to changes in how we get paid. So it's not because we're spending too much money. It's not because we're overgrowing our sales. It's not because I'm adding, adding headcount or investing in labor that I don't need to invest in. This is entirely isolated to reductions in the PBM fees and, and reduction and increases in, in the expenses for um, for the, for the fees and and things like that. So we have plans to deal with this, and we have plans to bring profitability, but no one could have expected. We always expect redu- reductions in, in prescription reimbursements. We had expected some increase in PBM fees. We did not expect it the way it, the way it turned out. And now that we know how aggressive uh, insurance companies are being on, on, on this end, we will retool and, and mitigate and, and drive profitability, and, and let's and let's talk about cash flow. So cash flow was on operations was basically flat. We're we're paying our bills. There's no we have no fears or trepidation over paying our current liabilities. We're meeting them all on time um, and without any headaches or hassle. So everybody can rest easy on that. The doors are not imminently closing or from the foreseeable foreseeable future, everything is great. So with our 
our farm co-operations improving, and 1002 improving, cash flow from operations going into the second quarter, third quarter, fourth quarter will continue to improve. A lot of this is um, we have property and equipment, and we have the, the money that we got from Chicago Venture Partners, which puts us in a much better cash position than we were a year ago, which is fantastic because now we, with all the things we need to do this year, and we have a long list of things we need to do this year, um, we have the capital in the bank to go ahead and, and, and proceed. And so now I'm going to get into um, talking about some updates and where we see the future of this company, what, what went on in, in, the, in the first quarter, and, and what we're going to see going into, into the rest of the year. So let's talk about what happened in this, third, in this first quarter, this first three months. So we saw increases in, in PBM fees. We saw decreases in reimbursement rates. We managed that fairly well, whereas a lot of pharmacies significantly struggled and were hit with surprise charges. Um, we were able to pay all of our obligations fairly easily, and now with the Humana bonus that we've gotten, cash flow is, has significantly eased up. So we're doing doing fairly well there. A couple things that we saw that were new were um, changes to what what co- what coverages there were, and always the first three months is deductible season. So I know that one of the questions was why we're seeing a reduction in revenues, why we're seeing a reduction in, in prescriptions filled. Um, it's not that we had reductions in, in prescriptions filled. Prescriptions filled actually went up over the quarter 27%. And we have prescription fills going up in Pharmco, prescriptions filled going up in, in Pharmco 1002, which is that West Palm Beach location, that went up. So we have to essentially do 30% more business to, to stay flat on revenue, which is very challenging. Keep in mind that drug prices also go up. Every January, the things you spent 454 last year, you're going to spend 484 this year, and that's insulins. And then these are hot hot button issues. These are all front page news. This is insulin. This is HIV medication. One of the things that is very disconcerting going into this year is that already brand medication, the margins on it are very tough. But what insurance companies and, and uh, pharmacy benefit managers have decided to do is make pharmacies essentially cover the cost of brand medication. So whenever you go and you fill insulin, a brand insulin, or if you're, you're filling an HIV med, or if you're filling a brand name um, oncology med, a specialty med, understand that the pharmacy is covering part of that. They're basically paying more for the drug than the insurance company is reimbursing them. And that's what we're seeing. And it's not right, but Nobody is really addressing that. We're talking about uh, drug prices, but we're talking about it at the pharmacy end. Everybody's putting pressure on the PBM to stop paying pharmacies the money, whereas it should be negotiated with the drug manufacturer. There's no reason insulin should cost $450, but keep in mind that that's what the pharmacy has to pay for it. The pharmacy didn't set $450. It's the, insur- it's the insurance company, it's the drug manufacturer. So we, uh, we have essentially been, you know, subsidizing that coverage for, for brand name medications this year. Now we're switching as many patients as we possibly can to the generic, but keep in mind 
you can't do that across the board, especially with HIV, especially with oncology, especially with insulin. It's not the same, and patients don't have the same reaction to generic as they do with brands. So wherever we can, we are, and wherever we can't, we have to do the right thing by our patients. So that's what we're seeing in, in the first quarter of, of 2019. I want to talk a little bit about updates on FPRX because that's the next thing. We signed the, we signed the deal. We executed the purchase agreement in, uh, in March, and now we're ready to, to close. The 60-day the Medicaid period has elapsed. We, that elapsed May 12th. And so we've already filed with, uh, or we're in preparations to file with the DEA and with the Board of Pharmacy to change over licensure to then be to then close. And, and closing is going to take place June 1st. We have a date. We're doing an observed inventory count. Again, preparing for audits on, on FPRX, and that is also in preparation for going back fully reporting with the SEC. So we're, gonna, we're going to need to do two years of audits of FPRX. The first part of that is doing an, an audited inventory count, which we're going to do on June 1st in both locations. Davy and Orlando. Now, on June 1st, let's talk about how the money is going to get dispersed, because I know that there were questions about that, too. So $2.3 million is sitting in escrow. Another $700,000 is due to the pharmacy, is due to progressive care. What that $700,000 is for from Iliad is going to pay for inventory, is going to pay for the assets of, of FPRX, and that's going to be cash, that's going to be inventory, that's going to be net accounts receivable. So that's accounts receivable less any account, accounts payable that they may have that we're going to go ahead and, and buy. That's also going to have some working capital because in the transition period there's going to be some cash that needs to come in and out to uh, facilitate a smooth transition. $2.3 million is sitting in escrow. $1 million is going to be uh, set to release June 3rd. The only reason June 3rd and not June 1st is because that's a Monday and not a Saturday. So June 3rd, $1 million will release from escrow to the sellers. Now we have um, several tranches that will come after that. $500,000 is going to be paid out after the change of ownership. Change of ownership is a, is a significant process. It not only involves just sending the applications, it involves all of the parties involved. So I'm, I'm going to give you a quick list. There's Medicaid, there's Medicare, there's the DEA, there's the Board of Pharmacy, there's every insurance carrier, every PBM, and the PSAO. All of these entities have to not necessarily approve because they're not going to say, no, you can't buy this business other than the DEA. The DEA is the one entity that it is an approval or a disapproval. But we're, not, we're confident that's going to go through. Um, we, the, it's really just making sure that our, the new owners are on title and on the applications with all of these entities because if it isn't properly updated, we run the risk of losing the contract. And if you lose the contract, you can't bill. And then all of this work to acquire FPRX um, starts to become a lot more difficult, a lot more tenuous. So we are going to release $500,000 after change of ownership has taken place, making sure that all our I's are dotted, all our T's are crossed. And then there's after that, there's a series of payments 
that go out to go out to the sellers and why we structure it where the series of payments would take place over two years. The reason is they have a significant relationship with patients in, in Orlando. And we want to make sure that they that the sellers are properly incentivized to make sure that these patients stay on with the new ownership. If we have a situation where we're seeing that sales are transferring out or we're having a problem or that those relationships are being um, distressed in some way, then we have rights to withhold some of that money because obviously we're paying for for the future cash flow, and if the future cash flow isn't there, um, it's not going to behoove us to pay the full price. So we want to provide every incentive for the sellers to also stay on. There's some significant uh, talent there that we want to keep, so we want to make sure that that all works according to plan and goes smoothly. So we we have another uh, $800,000 that will go out to them over the next two years. Now, there's one remaining piece, which is a $700,000 worth of stock. Now, that $700,000 worth of stock has not been paid to them. That $700,000 worth of stock is set to be paid to them in June. That that stock is valued at either the market price in June when we close or $0.07. Cents. So they're, they're, they're maxed out at $0.07. Cents. So if the stock price was at $0.10, cents, I still have to give them $0.07 cents because they wanted enough shares to, to invest their time into the business and, and be incentivized to pursue growth of the entity. Now, let's talk about, let's talk about growth. FPRX ha- is, presents a fundamental opportunity for us because it has a location in Davie, Florida, which is very close to here. So now we'd have a location in Miami-Dade, Broward, and Palm Beach counties in South Florida so that gives us a great foothold to get more market share in South Florida because every single location, physical location, is local. The other thing is we have a location in Orlando now. And as you know, we drive about a 100-mile radius. So from Orlando, we're talking about the villages. We're talking about Tampa. We're talking about Daytona. So we're talking about St. Pete. We're, We're talking about... A, the I-4 corridor, which is a lot of patients, and it's a, lot, it's a high concentration of retired patients who require the type of medication therapy management that we provide, that require the level of, of delivery that we provide, that require um, the kind of service that we provide. So we, now we have that foothold to going in a whole new market, and we can piggyback on our reputation, on our brand, on our name, on our performance. Keep in mind, we are in the top 10% in the nation. Not in Florida, not in South Florida, not in Miami. We're in the top 10% in the nation on, on adherence, on medication therapy management. A lot of pharmacies try to do what we do, and they can't because they don't, have the ex- they don't invest in the expertise, they don't invest in the clinical knowledge, they don't invest in their teams, and that's what we do here, and that's what makes us special, and that's the reason we're growing, and that's the reason we're, we're thriving. So now with FPRX, keep in mind also, FPRX has the same performance. They also met all of their performance metrics. They don't have as many Humana patients as Farmco 901, Farmco in in Miami Beach does, or Farmco 1002 does. They don't have a high concentration of Humana patients. But now with our performance and our reputation, 
we're going to go and start marketing to those patients. We're going to start marketing to those to that insurance company and show them what we can do and what we can bring to the table and bring those patients on board because we know we can service them. It also opens the door to 340B relationships in those areas. There are a lot in Orlando and Tampa, St. Pete, Sarasota, Naples area that we can now service from the Orlando location or even from the South Florida locations. But because we have an Orlando presence and a physical location, we can now get those 340B relationships. Every person we talk to in 340B, when we tell them, oh, yeah, we have a location in Palm Beach, their eyes get wide and they say, oh, I had no idea. Let's get you on to Harissa with your Palm Beach location. And then I say, by the way, we're going to be online in Orlando in a month or two months. And they say, oh, as soon as that hits, give us a call so we can get you on to uh, the Harissa website for, for approval for your Orlando location. So it presents an immense opportunity. On top of the fact that they do $18 million in sales, 17 to $18 million in sales, and they do you know, essentially the same amount of prescriptions as we do. So we're doubling in every way. We're doubling the locations. We're doubling the prescription volume. We're doubling the patient base. We're doubling the revenues. And the, on top of that, because of the, the nature of their business and not ours, because they're, they're very heavily concentrated in, or, in Orlando, those contracts present themselves differently than the South Florida contracts. So they have payment terms that are a little bit better. They have pricing that's a little bit better. And so we plan to take full advantage of that. They are cash flow positive. They also have net earnings. So when we consolidate in June, obviously you're not going to see a full double this year because we're only going to have from June on. Um, but you're going to start seeing that we're going to start having more more profitability because we're going to consolidate in um, FPRX's profitability. And I expect that of a half a million dollars in profitability that they had for for 2018. Or, or so, um, and we have not uh, done the done the audits of of, of the full closed 18 yet. Um, but of the half a million dollars, half of that is going to be realized for Progressive Care in 2019. So June onwards, we should expect another $250,000 in earnings to be added to that. So huge opportunity. It's a great, uh, you know, you know option is a great addition for progressive care because now we're not a $20 million company. Now we're a $40 million company. Now we're not doing 15,000 patients. We're, doing, we're providing service to 30,000 patients. And now as we start creeping up in that, in that world, now we become a more attractive option as either uh, for, for, for a partnership or for a merger or for something of that sort, but we also become able to negotiate better arrangements with our primary wholesalers, with our 340B entities, with insurance companies. And those are the big things. When you start having that many lives under management and you start having that kind of brand loyalty, and we do, um, you're going to start having the opportunity to start you know, writing your own script, so to speak. So I want to I want to uh, change tacks real quick and start talking about Pharmco 1002 and the opportunities that we're having in Palm Beach. Palm Beach pretty much stayed the same throughout the year, and I I know that we had 
goals of, of increases of about 20% last year. Some of that was, some of the reason it was flat is purposeful. We started recognizing that a, a primary relationship was starting to become not profitable. Clients were not paying. And it didn't make sense to continue to provide service without having the benefits of being paid on a, on a timely basis. So we did actually start you know, transitioning the, that client away from the pharmacy and that revenue away from the pharmacy because it, it was not working out in, in, our, in our benefit. While also replacing that revenue with new revenue in the area. Now in April, um, you're going to see some increases. We're starting to see some traction in, in 1002 from not only marketing to new, new clinics and new, new, new patients, but also patients and clinics that recognize us from Miami. So now another you know, problem we had is that a lot of times when, when doctors, we would go and tell them and, and market ourselves in their EHR service that would send us an e-prescription, they were not seeing Pharmco. They were seeing Touchpoint, and Touchpoint is not what we were presenting to them. We were presenting to them Pharmco. So now all of that has been corrected. Everywhere we go, there's Pharmco. Um, we have drivers doing a lot of delivery. We're doing in-service three, four times a week in Palm Beach. We have three drivers in, in Palm Beach, so we're seeing a lot of growth. We are effectively $100,000 in billing away from being profitable in 1002. Now, we are very close to getting there. We, we expect that by the end of, end of summer that 1002 is going to be profitable by itself as well. So now we'll have FPRX that, that's profitable. We'll have 1002 that's cash flow positive and profitable, and 901 that will be cash flow positive and profitable. So we're going to be moving forward in that direction. We're going to have um, – we may have still non-cash – losses here, but we're moving as quickly as we possibly can and as aggressively as we possibly can to get business that is going to have higher margins and is going to have higher sustainability and higher reliability now and into, into the future. And we're making a lot of progress. And I, you know, we should have April sales numbers coming out next week. So you'll see the, the, the changes in, in the billing and you'll see the increases. And I'm super excited that we've made those uh, advancements there. And also, 1002's build-out is pretty much complete. We've added the islands, we've added the drivers, we've, we've got the right staff in place, we have the right pharmacist in place, a pharmacist, we have a new pharmacist uh, in charge there who brings a, a wealth of, of expertise in long-term care management and medication therapy management. So we are so excited to have him on board running uh, running the operation in, in Palm Beach, and we're always there. So we're, we're actively managing, managing that location. We're not sitting back and hoping for the best. So we're, we're being aggressive there. We're being aggressive in Miami as well. So every day we're doing more in-service. We're getting new clinics. We're, we're getting more patients. We had presentation just the other day at a um, retirement uh, community and building independent living community, and they are e exceptionally excited about what we have to offer. A, a lot of what we have, and we did, we do have some advertising, we do have some outreach that we do, 
But the best thing for us and the most successful we've been, the lowest customer acquisition cost, has always been gathering a, a group of patients with, with some kind of commonality, either where they live or their doctor, and explaining to them what, they, what we do. When they see the difference between us and CVS and us and their local grocery store and us and Walgreens and us and Amazon or wherever they're getting medication, we are second to none. There are no pharmacies that provide the breadth of service. There are no pharmacies that provide the level of knowledge and expertise that we do. They're, they just can't compare. And so if you like what Pharmco does, and as soon as you switch to Pharmco, you don't switch back. You don't go and try to go pick up your medication and be without your medication because why? Why waste the time for that? Why spend 20 minutes at CVS or 40 minutes at CVS a week after your medications have run out when, you know, Pharmco delivers your medication for free and everything is there and everything's pre-packed and pre-dosed. Everything Amazon can do, we can do. So there's no reason to turn to those other methods. And not, on, not only that, we don't just rely on you to know your medication. We go. So if you tell us your doctor, we call your doctor and find out all the medications you're on. I don't know how many of you out there know, have a loved one who can't tell you what all they're on. Go to the emergency room and they can't list their medication for the doctor. That's the difference that Pharmco makes, and that's why we're so good at adherence. That's why we provide so, many, so much better health outcomes. So we have a lot of opportunity, and 901 is also growing. Billing is also growing. As you can see, prescription counts are up. It's not that we're not getting new sales. And they're sustainable sales. They're not always new prescriptions. They're refills. They're, it's a healthy mix of refills and new. So we have a reliable revenue stream. Um, talking about some of the new initiatives, we know that we cannot be the Xerox of pharmacies. There's no reason to be shouting at the rain and pretending that somehow if we cry hard enough, the pharmacy world will go back to the way it was 20 years ago. It's not going to happen. We have to innovate. We have to look at what's the future. And what is the future? The future is not in simply isolated insurance billing. We have to go towards cash-based prescriptions. We have to go to cash-based products. And we have to go to business-to-business services and, and, and consulting. Business to business, and what, what I mean by that is where we offer our core, start monetizing our core competencies in healthcare management, in health practice risk management, in accounting and finance. And I want to talk about accounting and finance very specifically because nobody knows accounting for 340B like we do. Nobody knows DIR fees like we do. Nobody knows GER fees and BER fees and pharmacy expenses the way we do. Nobody knows insurance performance accounting the way we do. So we want to bring that to covered entities, so 340B entities, to third-party administrators, to MSOs, managed services organizations that contract with providers and provide accounting services to these, to these organizations, and to physicians themselves and say, you want to work with us on bringing up your performance. You want to work with us on your accounting. You want to work with us on your prescription mix, your brand to generics. There's no reason if you have a certain brand medication that you can't just prescribe the generic. There are many medications that are brand that cost thousands of dollars for which we lose money for and the doctor loses money for that shouldn't be simply just 
two generics. Now, they say, well, two pills is harder to take than one, and I'd rather t- give my patient the one pill because I know they'll take it. Well, with, with the Pharmco Smart Packs, they don't have to worry about that because we will package the two pills in such a way where it's, it's just as easy as one, two, three, just take, taking the medication as, as is prescribed. So for those patients that are taking some brand-name medication that requires an omeprazole first, we'll handle that for, for all of our physicians. So we're bringing that business to business, and we intend to monetize that. We're, we're getting more opportunities for discharge rx again because of this medication therapy management the more we promote it hospitals definitely need medication reconciliation the more they can bring patients to pharmco and have their patients have the doctors and have their physicians who who recommend and and admit patients into these hospitals tell them to go to pharmco that means everything's in one place a lot of times you know doctors a patient will have 10 different doctors, and now they're having three different pharmacies, which isn't good. You want to have one pharmacy for everything. And hospitals will send half to the Walgreens across the street, even though the Walgreens, it's not the Walgreens or the CVS that the patient uses at home. So it causes conflict, it causes mess, and now the patient is not adhering, and half the time they leave the hospital and pick up the meds anyway. We want to end all that. So we are now investing in that. What what we have also is the telepharmacy, and one of the things that we have in the opportunity with V Living is to put our our digital kiosks there, and that's what we're exploring with the administrators in that building is to start deploying the digital kiosks because we know that will also enhance and start monetizing some opportunities for our core competencies, which is consulting and and medication coaching and reconciliation. So we have all of these opportunities that we're aggressively pursuing this year. It's, it's every day is being on the grind. There's no letting our foot off the gas. We have to push and we have to bring this business. And we don't sleep. We don't eat. We, you know, we barely have enough time to see our families in any given day, and that's because we need to build this business, and that's what we're dedicated towards. Talk, let's talk about the million dollars that we raised. So that million dollars what is for all of that. One of the things that is a priority for me in the next three uh, next three months is to hire talent. I because we're going to be a five entity enterprise. I need to have a a group of people that one does sales and marketing. So we're bringing that core staff on board that has hospital experience. So again, to push the Discharge RX program to get those patients. Um, and, yes, we are going to be competing with some pretty strong uh, entities in other pharmacies that do long-term care, that, that, are, that have pharmacies across the street. But, again, what good is a pharmacy across the street if a patient doesn't ever drive there and pick up their meds? What's the point? So we, we want to bring that to the, the hospital and say, stop going to the chains. They can't provide you the service. You're getting hit on the back end by Medicare for your readmission rates, and we can resolve that issue. So the million dollars is is to do that, to get the digital kiosks in-house and deployed, because each of those costs money, um, and the development of our apps. One of the things that we want, and we want to revolutionize how pharmacy apps work, is one, have a patient always know where their medication is, so they know when they're when to expect the delivery, when their medication is due, when their medication is, is out on the road, when the medication is in their hands, so that they can also see the list and make sure that the list is what is appropriate and what is prescribed. 
Also, we want that app to be able to provide medication coaching, that this medication, remember, take this medication 30 minutes before the next one. Make sure to check your blood sugar. Make sure to, to, to step on the scale. Make sure to check your, your blood pressure. All, all of these things we want to have in our own app. Now, there are apps that are pre-made. None of them do what we feel is necessary to monitor adherence to monitor the patient. What we anticipate our app doing is also being able for the patient to be able to say, hey, I'm just now being discharged from the hospital. A lot of times the, the primary care physician will never know that the patient went to an urgent care, will never know that the patient just got discharged from an ER. If they were admitted, they will know, but not, not if it's an ER visit. So we want to make sure that we have the best compliance and HIPAA security for that kind of data and bring that in-house so that way if, if a primary care physician is, is trying to manage the medication regimen for their patient, they don't go and say, hey, why is the ER changing up the entire therapy? They, don't, they only know you for four hours and they're changing all of your meds. So they have the opportunity right there to see the meds that are getting prescribed and say, no, I want this therapy because I know this patient. So we're building, we're working with the developers to build that app. That's, again, what part of that money is for. And then once we build this, this new technology, and it is new technology, once we build this, we want to create something that has the opportunity to bring in the new holistic approach. Not every medicine has to be a chemical from a pharmaceutical company, and we believe there's a lot of value to nutritional support. There's a lot of value to nutritional supplements. There's a lot of value to, to holistic wellness that can help a patient and provide them opportunities, which means partnering up with massages and acupuncturists for pain management, um, physical therapists, and, and things like that, but also going into um, nutrient depletion, which is you know CoQ10, iron, um, folic acid, all those kinds of things that patients need and that their medication is depleting them of. So the more you get depleted, the worse your, your medication will perform, the worse your health results will be if we can provide the right supplement mix. And we have the, the recipes and the formulas that we think work best because we do have experts in pharmacology that work here. All of our, uh, um, the vast majority of our pharmacists are PharmDs. They're doctors of pharmacology. So they have worked together to create this. And then we need to talk about CBD. So CBD, we now have three brands on the shelf, and we have uh, one new one that, that, we're, that we're working with because we just like its quality it, and its purity and its standards. So we, and it was developed by a pharmacist, and we have a close relationship with that company. And now, by working with them, now we have the opportunity for our exclusive line. And I have my own um, as a as a, a child of Indian doctors, I have my own um, things that I would like to create with CBD because I know how it works and I know how it interacts with other holistic medications. The other thing with CBD, because we're a pharmacy, we can't mix it with, with over-the-counter medications that have been approved by the FDA. We cannot mix it with, with prescriptions. Um, with prescription pharmaceuticals, except for if that CBD comes from an FDA-registered facility. So we are working on getting our CBD from an FDA-registered facility, which means we then can compound it 
with our pain management therapies. But aside from being able to compound it in the pharmacy, we do we are recommending CBD as a complementary therapy for our uh, compounded pain medications. So CBD is now being marketed, and we're now going into um, all of our our in-service presentations are now beginning to incorporate our knowledge of CBD and the differences between brands of CBD and and knowing that our brand is pure CBD and not olive oil or anything else that they mix with it to create the to create the volume. So a lot of times when you look at the bo- the bottle and it says that it's like 50 micrograms or 50 milligrams of CBD, that's the full volume concentration that each individual dose doesn't have that. And a lot of times what you'll see is that that concentration is also wrong. We want to make sure that the, the product we give to the patient is has the highest standard and, and mostly to deliver the results that it should. We know that CBD is a powerful anti-inflammatory. We do know that it has a calming effect on the nervous system, so it does have some therapeutic benefits. We are not going to go afoul of FDA regulations or DEA regulations. We're not going to tout any specific health benefit. We're not going to tout any specific health result because we know we don't have the FDA studies to, to prove it, but we do know that just like you know taking an iron supplement, just like uh, taking CoQ10 has therapeutic benefits, has benefits for our health and wellness, we know CBD has the same. So we are marketing CBD, and now we're stocking it. So we have three brands. The reason we have three brands is some of it is oral, some of it is topical, and we have to make sure we, we do that correctly because the FDA has come out and said that CBD cannot be introduced into the food supply unless it's gone through um, some kind of check with them. And then Florida presents its own challenges. Because we're a pharmacy, and this is the most asinine part of this, because we're a pharmacy, even though we believe this is a health and wellness product, the pharmacy, because it's DEA regulated, cannot sell CBD just willy-nilly. We can't have it in the back of our pharmacy. We can only sell it retail, so that means that it limits our ability to provide consultation, that it limits our ability to provide recommendations for it with with other prescription medications. So we have to do everything correctly. We have to do everything by the book, and we have to make sure we want, monitor all the rules and regulations. And I know that there are a lot of experts on CBD that are, are listening to to this call, and they're telling me, well, but the farm bill and everything's legal. Everything's legal, but the law says it's legal, but the DEA and the FDA and the State Board of Pharmacy all are putting rules and regulations on how CBD can and should be dispensed to patients. And while we believe that medicine should be under the purview of pharmacies, not everybody agrees. So we are treading carefully, but we are moving forward. And we are we believe we have the right mix of manufacturers now to then create our own line. But we are aggressively pursuing that now. CBD does carry it, it is a cash-based product, and it has higher margins. And so we know that that will also, if we can per, start getting some traction on CBD, and we are already selling some. Um, if we can start getting tra- traction with our over 15,000 patients, and then bring it to FPRX and bring it to the to the independent living facilities and senior living facilities that we will now start having a foothold in a, in a cash-based service, and then we have the opportunity to, to present ourselves as experts in holistic health and wellness and, and, and begin to sell those products and services as well. So we have a bright outlook 
I know that we are our our expectations are that tomorrow everything is sunshiny and and the best it can be, but we know that this is a long-term growth trajectory and we know that we're pursuing it and we know that our future is bright and you know in a few weeks we're going to be double the size in a few weeks we're going to be even a a different company a different entity more corporate we're going to have 125 employees we're going to have immense opportunity to really revolutionize who we who we are and what we are and we're getting more and more credibility for what we do i will be presenting in june at the san diego cold chain global conference and i will also be presenting in the boston conference and that's their biggest one so i have the opportunity to bring what we do and how we do it directly to pharmaceutical manufacturers and we had an opportunity to talk to representatives of of sanofi of amgen of uh, uh, Pfizer when I went there, when I went to Canada just a couple of months ago. So now the opportunity to talk to wholesalers as well, McKesson with Cardinal, with, with the, the American reps for these pharmaceutical manufacturers is a tremendous opportunity. And I want to talk, to talk about what we got out of that conference, which is the ability to partner up with Frost Time and now have cold chain integrity process, which no other pharmacy provides. Now our, our insulins, our antibiotics, the temper, temperature is tracked all the way to the patient. We always kept it cold. We always kept it on ice. But until now, we have not had an ability to verify that data, and now we do. And we are the first to bring that to the table, and we intend to show that to every um, insurance company out there that, they want to work with a pharmacy like us because we're doing it better than everybody else. And we're a damn good pharmacy, and everybody should know it. So I hope that at the end of this call, for, if for nothing else, you understand that you're investing in a company that is world-class, that you're investing in a company that means something, you're investing in a company that's making a difference, you're investing in a company that has standards, you're investing in a company that is doing the right thing every single day, that we care about our shareholders and we care about everybody else. And and we will be as judicious as we possibly can be with how we use our our share structure. And the last thing we have is, is the shareholder meeting. And you should be hearing in the next, um, next couple of weeks after we close on FPRX, an announcement about where and when we're going to have our shareholder meeting. And I hope as many of you can come and we can all have a substantive conversation about the the future of progressive care and what opportunities are out there. And we can make a decision together as a team and as a shareholder family. So look out for that. Look out for more good news. Look out for uh, April sales next next week. Um, we And we hope we can bring you more and more um, good news and pride and hope and and hope you have a happy rest of the day. Thank you so much for listening to me. I know I've talked a long time without breathing, and I hope it was well worth your time. Thank you so much for believing us. Thank you very much for being a shareholder. All right, that concludes our call for today. Thank you so much, everyone, and continue to send in your questions. Thanks.